Hey friends, this is your friend Kyle Coleman. Welcome to Are We Still Friends, the podcast where I sit down with interesting friends to see what they're up to in their interesting lives. There may be too interesting, in fact, and I oftentimes wonder, are we still friends? David Wester is a filmmaker, editor, composer, and performer. He is the creator and host of Dave's Basement, an online video variety show that ran for two ill-defined seasons during the lockdown of 2020. Central to his work is wrestling with the unpredictability of the body, the slipperiness of identity, and the deliciousness of fried chicken and other foods. Currently, he's working his day job as a video editor for Hijinks Agency and developing plans for a new online concern in 2023, including a new episode of Dave's Basement on April 2nd at 8 p.m. You can also see his wonderful short film, Tony Eats a Shrimp, on Amazon Prime. I do very much respect the, uh, I need to talk to a friend, uh, let me start a project that, you know, enables me to then reach out to another human being <laughs> and then make a connection that way. That is, uh, I'm very, very familiar with this, with this process. Well, I think a good example of that is maybe Dave's Basement was, uh, for those who didn't experience it firsthand, was your online showcase mm -hmm. of, of animations, of music. And that was a time that was set up over the pandemic. Uh, yeah. When when exactly, how far in did, you, did we go before you started Dave's Basement? Let's see. I started Dave's Basement, I think, April, late April, maybe, of 2020. And the lockdowns hit pretty sturdily in March, I believe. The funny um, story of that funny in quotes is I'd been toying with the idea of doing a show in my basement. Um, since we bought a house that had a basement, it was one of those things where I was just like, I like being at home and I, I like doing shows and you know, the idea of like trying to figure out a way to do like a house show, um, some kind of like house, uh, you know, improv show or house comedy show in the same way that, you know, you'd have people do house band, you know, kind of punk shows or something like that. So I've been kind of noodling on that for about three or four years. I think I found a file on my phone that was like four years old when I was in the hot and heavy in the middle of doing Dave's basement. That was like some notes on like some possibilities. And I'd been interested in doing a streaming show at the same time. And it was just one of those moments where it was like, I'd just been thinking about both things and they both just kind of like came together. And it was also something where I saw, so my superpower I've discovered over the past few years is that I'm really good at just staying home and i'm just now hitting this point where i'm kind of feeling stir crazy it's been about three years um and so it's just one of those things where you know i just kind of figured out like oh i'm pretty good at this yeah it was just one of those things where like things just kind of came together oh yeah i saw a bunch of friends and colleagues kind of losing their minds and thought you know so i already had this idea and i thought like oh this could be a fun thing for us all to do uh let me you know a use my superpower of being home and be uh, share, you know, um, create a space to sort of for people to continue creating and continue sharing things um, in the midst of this time when it seemed like uh, no one was able, no one knew when they were going to be able to do it again. And, you know, it's just one of those, it's like, uh, it was like a, a perfect moment for an introvert to be able to give something to an extrovert uh, in some way or something like that. That was kind of the Dave's basement thing. And it was, yeah, it was gratifying. It was gratifying to sort of um see people kind of gathering there um in the chat uh in the midst of it all people i knew and people, some people i didn't know i met some people that way yeah it was just a very very interesting moment in time that was uh both you know it was just it was just very weird for everyone um i'll say that
Yeah. Uh, thank you from on behalf of all of us for for organizing that and putting that together, making that happen, because it was such a cool experience. I mean, for you to set up this place where we could all digitally connect in a way that wasn't being done, you have these different mediums of of art and we're getting people to share them digitally. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like the um, facility that people have with streaming jumps, I, that's going to like, we're going to look back and find that was the biggest uh maybe one of the biggest effects of the pandemic one of the biggest positive effects is like i know people who are watching twitch streams now that you know would not have watched twitch streams if you had pointed a gun to their head um <laughs> like that's uh a few years ago or or you know doing video calls like i for young people at least according to my um my family like kids growing up these days my sister tells me her kids don't want to be movie stars they want to be youtube stars um, so I think that's already kind of there, um, baked into the cake and like, it just kind of like opened that door for a lot of people. I think I just want to touch more on, on kind of what it took for you to, you know, make this thing happen too, because you were doing, I mean, I remember you talked at one point after I think season two ended where you're like, yeah, this is a lot of work. This is a lot of stuff to put together and, and make happen. So can you kind of take me through like yeah. what what was the behind the scenes like on that because i never got to hear totally what all you were doing <laughs> yeah i mean you know okay so first of all like the biggest hurdle is that it was a weekly show um it was a weekly show with no money um <laughs> and in fact like you know i was spending money on it and like you know if you're gonna look at it as a profit loss i mean it's just all in the red there's no there's no there's nothing coming in um which you know that's not a big deal it's just one of those things where it's like uh as a weekly show there's just some you know you gotta add there's something something has to go up on sunday night something has to um and the other aspect of it that was a difficult hurdle is that it was mostly um content generated by other people so there was a moment during season two where i realized this is becoming a bit of a big ask for viewers like i'm asking a lot of people to help this and it became kind of this thing where it was like um just trying to like sort of like churn up the content that we were showing was getting a little unwieldy um i'm you know a personable guy but i just didn't i, I was running out of uh contacts um i was running out of people who were doing things i was and i'm i'm very bad at asking other people to play along with something that I'm doing. I'm just terrible at that for a lot of reasons, but it's just, it's one of those things. So, you know, I had help. I had, um, uh, Daryl McGee was helping. Jocelyn Brady was, was helping. Um, Tara Blaine, uh, was helping my partner, Tara Blaine. And, um, uh, probably forgetting a couple other people, but, um, those are the, those are the, the people in the zoom meetings. <laughs> and so it was one of those things where it's just kind of like every time we met, it was like, so who else can we ask? So who else can we ask for something? So that was kind of, that was the biggest hurdle then you know i would do a i would do bits in between the content we showed and so coming up with the bits were uh, you know just mostly me by myself coming up with stuff but tara tara was uh probably the the biggest co-writer on those um but daryl and jocelyn helped on those as well and it was just kind of just coming up with those bits is you know it's a weekly show now i purposefully when this started when i started doing it i designed it with intention to make it, um, I wanted it to feel like Mystery Science Theater 3000, most of all, where it had a kind of public access vibe. And so like the, <laughs> if some of the bits were, I'll say a D minus, um, 
I wasn't too ashamed of that. I was kind of like, that's kind of where my head was when I started the thing was I just wanted to have a kind of a fun little goofball thing. But, you know, you get in the middle of it and you start writing the D minus thing and you're like, this is a D fucking minus thing. I, I don't want to put out a fucking D minus thing. I want to put out a B at worst, you know. So I put myself through a lot of stress and pressure. Um, did I say those words right? I did. Stress and pressure. Yeah. I put myself through a lot of those two things. Um in just trying to like come up with stuff that I thought was quality um, and good. And so, yeah, those were the pretty, those were the, it was just coming up with more content. Um, that was the biggest hurdle. That was the biggest thing that was making me sweat, you know, just like reaching out to more and more people started finding strangers on like just various YouTube videos or something or something, or I'd see someone I'd, I'd actually fire off the email. And that was kind of the fun growth for me was in a lot of ways. Like I did, I did some reaching out to people in a way that like I would hit, send on the email and then I'd have to like leave my desk and walk away um, from it. And then when I, if, if they replied, which was about a 50, 50, maybe 25, 75 that they would actually reply, then like kind of like clicking open on the email and feeling just flop sweat start to trickle down my face. Cause I just, there's something in my, in me that hates this part of things where it's like, would you, you know, I'm doing this thing. Would you please, uh, w- would you be interested in joining us? And it's like, if they say no, I don't, it's not like I'm like mad or even like that disappointed. It's like, yeah, okay. That makes sense. It's just this thing of like putting myself out there in that particular way stresses me out so much. And so, yeah, that was getting to be a, a real chore. So what we would do is we, we had a, we developed at a certain point, we developed a form that people would fill out where they would type in who they were and what they had and send me a link or something to a piece of content that they had. Uh, the thing I like to say is that if you can play it on a computer, I'll, I'll, we can put it up. And so I would watch all these things and I had a little spreadsheet and the best part, um, as anyone who's ever done any kind of curated show, will tell you, this is the best thing in the world. Even like a sketch show, uh, where you've got a bunch of different sketches and it's like, and now it's time to put them in order. And that is the most fun that you can have. It's like, you know, it's, if you've ever made a mixtape, it's kind of like that. Um, you know, it's just like, oh, I'll put this one here, this, you know, sketch about tomatoes here. And then, oh, look, I have this thing that's kind of red. Uh, it has nothing to do with tomatoes, but it's kind of red. So I'll put that second, you know. And so I I'd do that. And then you'd take a look at like each one had like a, a length. So I'd have to look at like how long they were. Um, and then you'd see like, oh, gosh, uh, the tomato thing is six minutes long and this one's four minutes long. It's a, like my content blocks would be about seven minutes, eight minutes max. So if I do those two back to back, then I don't have room for another one. And I'd like three usually. So a lot of juggling at that point. And that's just super fun. That would usually happen on Friday because I'd just be kind of waiting to see like what else was coming in, what else was coming in. Cause we aired on Sunday. Then on, uh, meanwhile, that whole week I'm sitting there going like, what's the bit, what, what's the joke going to be? What are we going to do? And I'd take a look at the calendar and see like, okay, it's Halloween's coming up. Uh, maybe I'll do some spooky stuff. I love spooky stuff. Most of the stuff I did was spooky anyway, even no matter how Halloween was. And it was always like, there was something where it's like each show I would want to push not on purpose, but I'd find myself pushing my abilities technically in one way. I had one show where I wanted to disappear at the end of it. And so it's like, oh, how do I do this so that like, you know, it's just, it's a simple editing trick. It's just a hard cut to an empty chair, but I wanted the chair to be spinning and stuff like that. So it's just like, okay, um, I know how to do that as an edit. How do I do that live? Uh, you know, so I got to pre-record the chair spinning 
Um, got to make sure that the light doesn't change the whole time. <laughs> and like, uh, so I think I pre-recorded the chair spinning like an hour before the show went on, you know, and then I got to load that clip into the OBS, test it out. So I would say usually on Sunday, it was like this like screaming nightmare where I felt like it felt like being on a plane that was about to crash. And just like, I had to like pull all these knobs and levers and try to get it to not crash. Um, and most of the time it didn't, you know, like there'd be times where like, I wanted to edit uh, a bit. Like we had this thing where a bunch of people recorded some Shakespeare stuff and uh, lines from Shakespeare plays. And my thought was, I'm just going to like take all these disparate lines from Shakespeare plays and put them together into like a new Shakespeare play. So we had recorded all this on zoom. <laughs> and I think it was Sunday at like, I and mean, we aired at eight. It was like, it was like seven o'clock. I was still editing this thing. And then it's like, you know, I'm recording in my uh, office where I work or we're streaming from, from a place where I work. So every week, this is so stupid, like, but every week something else had gone wrong. Like the microphone stopped working or like I had moved something in the course of my normal week. Um, and just as, out of like a little, so there's always this thing of like, oh, I have to now you know, fix this thing at the same time, um, which I could have like probably handled a little better with like some more forethought, but it was just kind of one of those things where it's like, in addition to writing the bits, finding the material for the bits, putting stuff together, that was all pretty much, you know, um, Monday through Saturday. And then everything would sort of come together on Sunday. And a lot of times because of like it being live, um, there just wasn't time to do it any other way. And it was all just basically like, you know, down to me sitting there at the computer sweating. Um, which is fun. All of this, all of this is like the most fun I've ever had in my life. I want to be clear about that. <laughs> like, like if, if it sounds like I'm complaining, uh, it was like a nonstop, like thrill ride roller coaster joy of the sort that was like just an absolute blast. Um, you know, as adrenaline heavy as it, as it got, um, it was, it was also the kind of thing where the stakes were pretty low. Um, so if something went wrong, it was disappointing, but you know, uh, shake it off. Uh, do something else well, because it's weekly weekly it just kind of recycles itself anyway it's cool that that it was such a blast for you to continue doing it even though like you said you're working in the same space that you your day job is that you're doing a lot of the similar things that you do in your day job but it was still that level of fun that you're like you know what i'm gonna on a sunday i'm gonna sit here at the desk all day piecing oh, yeah. this thing together until the last minute like i just love that level of passion and it's clear that this is a project that only could have come from somebody who has that level of of interest <laughs> and love for it because it sounds like a huge pain in the ass. Yeah, I mean, everything that's worth doing is a pain in the ass and everything that's fun is a pain in the ass if you don't like it. You know, like, it's like there are people who love climbing mountains um, and, you know, I just the idea of like not even like climbing the mountain, but like getting the gear together makes me feel a little like, eh, no, thanks. Eh, you know, um, <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> Maybe do you just need a rope? I don't. I don't know. Uh, I, I think it depends on the mountain. Yeah, I assume there's there's buckles at least. I've, <laughs> I always I always see buckles and um, carabiners. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, it was it was it was so much fun. Um, it was there was so much growth happening. It was using every single skill that I have and some that I don't. So it was. Like, um, you know, I dabble in a lot of, I'm, I'm sort of good at a lot of things. Um, and so it's like, oh, I need some music 
for this segment and i'm just like okay let me just write a quick little ditty for that and it's not the best piece of music anyone's ever heard but it's something that i can do and i know what this thing needs so i'll just like deliver what it needs like uh very quickly oh nevin morgan was uh also one of the the wonderful collaborators that uh, I got to work with. Um, he was very game and he's a very wonderful graphic designer and artist extraordinaire. And so it'd be like, Oh, I need a logo for this fake product or something. And he would just like be like, here you go. And it's great. And it's like, he was very generous with his time um, and talents. And um, yeah, he was, he was fantastic. Um, and just so game, he was just having, we were just having so much fun. And I think a lot of us were just having a lot of fun with that kind of thing. He's a great guy that I have not gotten to spend enough time around. I just met him early on at Brody. And then I think we were kind of ships passing at that moment. He was doing a little less and I was just getting started. Yeah. Cool to hear he was involved. Yeah, no, he was, um, he did a lot of stuff and just a lot of just little things. Um, you know, I had this bit that I would do on Facebook where I would talk about prior to the show, where I would talk about something, getting it or not getting it. And so I was going to try to translate that and found myself like oh man i need a lot of graphics for this so i, I kind of told him what i was doing and he just gave me this entire package that i could adapt uh to determine whether or not i think i did cereal at the time i did it on the show uh whether or not frosted flakes get it or don't get it and so on i can't remember all the cereals i did but i speaking of get it or or doesn't get it i meant to come up with an idea for you to give me an impromptu <laughs> gets it or doesn't get it and i forgot to come up with a list of things so we'll get to that later <laughs> when i when i think of one but i would love to put you on the spot for a gets it or doesn't get it round i uh this is um please do this to me and if we don't get to it over this call please call me back uh that sounds like a lot of fun yeah um <laughs> I, I i do i do remember you putting those on facebook and they're a great they're they're just fun sometimes it's like something gets it and you got to report that it gets it but the, my favorite thing is something that seems like it gets it but doesn't actually get it and you know i think controversially my 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 biggest seems like it gets it but doesn't actually get it is probably uh, rogue one the star wars movie yeah but we can talk about that later <laughs> yeah we'll get we'll get into star wars for sure just to kind of follow up on the uh you know those elements of of your life that you were putting into dave's basement to make it happen yeah you do a lot of and and to your point you do a lot of things really well uh you are an editor you are a composer you are i mean just name the thing i i know you from doing like tech at the different theaters mm -hmm. um so you have a an eye and a mind for lights and sound and kind of that yeah. production side of things like it's it is one of those those cool situations where I'm just like, you know, Dave, if I need you to do something, you can do it because yeah, except like, it, anything that's like a visual art type thing. I'm mm -hmm. terrible at those. Like, that's the thing that like mm -hmm. um, I, I like to, you know, when I think about it, it's like, oh, um, the things that interest me tend to be temporal. So it's kind of like if it if it passes through time, it's it somehow like fascinates me. So that goes into performance, that goes into filmmaking, editing, music. The things that like stymie me are things where it's like this needs to look really pretty. It's like I don't, eh, I can't, I can't do that. Or this needs to look a certain way. I'm really, I get really stymied by um, visual, the visual arts sides of things. So you do a you're more in terms of like your editing job, you know, putting the puzzle pieces together. You're not so much on the end of doing anything to polish it up. Yeah, I mean, I do some color correction stuff like that, um, and uh, sound mixing and things like that. It's um yeah, it's an interesting thing. Um, the I I've known a lot of editors in my life, and I find that they do tend to kind of break out into a couple types of people, um, and they they tend to I a lot of 
them are what I would think of as musical and a lot of them are what I would think of as visual and I tend to fall into the other camp. It's always to your constant regret and horror <laughs> that you can't work in this because I like it's like I you know I have to do certain things because um, it is a visual medium and you have to pay attention to the way things look and when I make mistakes it tends to be I'm I miss a thing that's in it like I miss a you know a, a crew member in the shot or something like that because I'm so taken with like the sweep of a thing and it's interesting just like how people's brains work because I work with some people who like they're clearly visually um their brains are just so oriented visually um that they'll see things that it's like and you know sometimes there are debates as to whether or not we need to change something or not because it's like mo 99 like 99 percent of people aren't going to see this thing but this you know some people are so like attuned to the, the look of it that they'll spot this like just this like tiny imperfection that you know I could, I have watched it a lot of times, a hundred times. And because my, my attention is more on the sweep, the narrative, the musicality of the thing, you know, it's just not something that, that interferes with any of those things. And so like, I haven't noticed it. And of course, when that comes up, it feel, you feel like a complete idiot. <laughs> it's like, yes, I've watched this 10,000 times. And I know I did not notice this, this tiny little speck, or I did not notice this thing was off. Um, gosh, I, I, what an idiot I am. Um, I've learned to forgive myself for such things, but it, it sometimes, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, I find that like, that's kind of a, that is like a kind of somewhat typical kind of breakout to answer your question. You know, it's like, if there's some like minimal amount of like graphics or things like that, I can use, I can sometimes, uh, 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 can sometimes attack those and, and succeed at those. I like to tell people that there are people who do it 10 times faster and 10 times better than me, um, than I would. And yeah, it's, for me, it's like the puzzle pieces, um, you know, what belongs here? What's the, what are we, what are we, what are we telling? What is the thing that we're trying to say? How can we best say it? What are the things that are going to support that? What are the things that are going to degrade against that? And usually it's like, also like, how can we, where is the surprise here is something I'm, I'm often looking for. Like, what is the, is there anything unexpected that kind of like can come in and kind of shake us all up a little bit, whether or not you get a chance to do something like that is dependent on pro project dependent. Is that something, where did you kind of along the line fall into that style or was there, so did you uh, have an influence that, that put you on that track of, of that editing style or, or really having those things be on your radar that you, you know, did you, did you grow up watching any particular things that was like, Ooh, I want to go with that. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Um, editing for me was, let me, let me, let me think about that for a second. Yeah. And one thing I know is that for me, editing was a place where I found a great deal of control that I wanted to have that I couldn't have. Um, as far as filmmaking goes where, you know, coming to make movies and, and go to film school, stuff like that. I found to my horror that like directing was just too much of a social challenge for me a lot of times. Um, and as I've gotten older, that's gotten easier. But at the time it was just like so painful to go out. Um, and we talk about asking people to work on things with you and then continually having to constantly re up on that question. My interests early on were musical. Um, I will say that I think you and I were talking Yes, that was you. Um, my first CD that I ever bought was John Williams and the Boston Pops. Um, that was the first P that was the first CD I ever owned. And I used to check out soundtracks to movies from the library when I was a little kid and play them on my Fisher Price record player because I found that it was like watching the movie 
<laughs> without uh actually having because we didn't have a vcr um without having to have the movie so it was kind of fun to like listen to the soundtrack to star wars or whatever and feel like i could see the movie so from there always kind of paying attention to the music of, of movies pretty big film score guy um but when i first started working on projects um i just found myself losing myself in the edit over and over again and i found myself getting really good at it very quickly and it's one of those things where like when i was a kid growing up i was passionate about two things and they were movies and computers and then lo and behold when i got my hands on a non-linear editing system for the first time here's a thing that combines these two things in one thing i was really into stuff that was kind of aggressively edited so i'm thinking of ken russell who made altered states and the devils and I'm trying to think of other influences as far as that went but there were there was a kind of host of people who were sort of like on the edge of the avant-garde or just kind of midnight movie kind of things where you'd see something and it was just like it was kind of assaultive um in how it was edited and I got really interested in that and how to do that and so at that point I guess uh Baz Luhrmann would fall into that too with uh, Moulin Rouge and uh um Strictly Ballroom oh, Peter Jackson was big on that. So yeah, so I just kind of got interested in like, how do you kind of create these effects through editing? There was a thing in school that I was really fascinated by with the idea of like, can you create a, an illusion? There's an old trick where there's like a bird on one side of a piece of paper or something, cardboard, and then there's a cage on the other. And then if you have, it's, they're tied to a string. And if you flip it back and forth, it looks like the birds in the cage because of the persistence of vision. And then, so there was a moment there where I was like, can you make a special effect? That's just that, that's just kind of like these two flickering things. And so I would spend time editing, uh, one frame edits to try to like figure out like how to do that. And yeah, kind of, I mean, it's not gonna, it's not gonna convince someone there's a dinosaur walking around, but it's, it has an effect you can kind of play with. It's kind of fun. And yeah, like, it's just one of those things where it's like, again, very good at being up by myself, very good at being alone in a room very good at, at computer stuff, very good at uh, knowing movies and the sort of like, and paying attention to the music films and whatever, you know, commercials, TV shows, and all this stuff just kind of like coalesces together into whatever I am. It, it sounds like if I were to ask you, you know, if somebody wanted to become an editor, oh yeah, it, you know, the classic question, like, how do you prepare for that? Your answer almost seems like it would be, it, it's really one of those, just, you got to find what you love about it and follow that. Um, You know, I, I, I do think that like, um, I wouldn't say that to anyone. Okay. <laughs> Cause I feel like glad I'm not giving someone... career advice then. Cause yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, cause it's like, if you want to, if someone wants to be an editor, I mean, it, it, it can be taught. It's not something that's like, um, oh, it's innate or nothing. Like, I feel like it can absolutely be taught. Um, I would say that from what I've seen when people who, I will say that there is a particular kind of person who thrives in the environment and there's a kind of person who doesn't. And that is, if it's not innate, it is definitely something that like, um, you know, sometimes, I guess sometimes like I have a question for myself, like, did I fall into this career because of who I am or am I who I am because I fell into this career? Like sometimes there's like a question as to like, did this push me to be a little more introverted than I actually am? Did this push me to be a little more, you know, um, diplomatic than I actually am? Cause that's another thing, you know, the edit bay is a very strange place. Even if it's not a physical edit bay, it's a very, um, confessional booth kind of environment sometimes where 
you just get in these conversations or it's like a lot of times, like if you're working with someone who was shooting a thing, it's like, um, you, you hear all of their woe and insecurity. And then people will come in also, um, people who, who have a stake in the project will come in and they have various notes and often those notes are contradictory or impossible or sometimes on rare occasions, dumb and <laughs> the, and I mean that by rare occasions, I don't actually don't think most, I think most notes are, are, um, coming from a, a, a good place, a, a place of good faith. There are times where it's like, this is, I can't, there's, I don't understand what you're going for, but like, where it's like, I, uh, there's just a complete mismatch of like what you're saying and like what this is, what this thing is or what it could be. But anyway, um, and so like negotiating that can sometimes, I, I would almost say like, that's the most important skill for someone who wants to edit is just figuring out that because you're not, um, it's a subtly humiliating job sometimes <laughs> where you're not, you're, you're sitting at the command of all of this footage and all of these choices. And like, one of the things I had to learn early on is to just make decisions. You're looking at, you know, 10 takes of someone saying hello and with different intonations, different things. And it's like, you can really get hung up on that. And that's where I see a lot of people who don't thrive. They, they kind of go a little crazy. Um, they like, there's just too many choices. And, you know, at some point, what I learned is you just got to jump into the pool and make a choice. And then that's going to inform the next choice. And there's, there's no right answer. It's, it's all subjective at the end of the day. It's all just like some, you know, taste dictating, like whether or not this works or doesn't. Very improv. Very improv. Very, very improv. The yes ending, the yes ending yourself. When I started improv, um, the first time I started improv, um, the idea of like not using that to overcome my inner critic was just invaluable where it was just like, Oh, I can, instead of like wringing my hands about whether or not it's the right decision to go to Madagascar on an, in an improv scene, you just say, Oh, I'm in Madagascar. And then it's like, whatever else happens. Okay. I made that choice and something else will happen now. And that's, yeah, it's, it's, I think that definitely comes, comes in those skills come in handy and also seeing things as a gift, you know, it's kind of fun. Like, like sometimes like, going back to the notes thing like if you get contradictory notes it's like oh i i think i can i think i can actually thread this needle sometimes where <laughs> it's like someone's like oh this shot is too long and someone's like oh that shot's too short and it's like and there's more information where it's like they're they think it's too long because of the how loud it is and they think it's too short because of you know they don't like this or they want to see more of this actor or something like that so it's like can I actually kind of and you know this has never happened, but, uh, can actually kind of like make that lower in volume and, you know, start it earlier when that actor's on screen more or something like that. And it, it, it can actually be kind of fun to like navigate that. So back to the improv thing, it's like, I, like a lot of times, like notes are just gifts, you know, where it's like, there's no, again, like there's no right answer. So it's like, if someone else has seen something there's, you know, they're seeing it in, in good faith and it's like, I might disagree. Um, but our disagreement is there's something that's like, uh, there's a way to find both a common ground, a compromise. Um, and that starts by just saying like, oh, well, I disagree. Let me take a look at this and see it from, you know, they, they say cut that shot 15 frames sooner or whatever. And I'm like, hmm, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so then I, I take a look at it. It's like, oh, yeah, I see, you know, with those 15 frames gone, 
I see what they're going for. And then also that will sometimes like allow me to do something else or to play with those frames in some way. Or I just like, I like collaborating with people and I like, even if I get annoyed or frustrated, it's like, oh, this is, it's really fun to kind of create a stew together um, all at the end of the day. Do you have any particular fond memories of a time when you did ha kind of have like a little bit of a maybe headbutt situation where you're like, I don't see it that way. And you have somebody else coming from the other direction that that ended up in a positive. Not a headbutt, but just a thing where it was like, oh, what are we going to do? Um, and this is this is I'm really proud of this. I cut a thing, showed it to the guy uh, whose name was Guy. Uh, cut a thing, showed it to Guy. Um, he looked at it. And it's the kind of thing where they had, uh, it was a product, something or other, where they'd gone out, they'd shot some, it's a testimonial. They'd shot some interviews with people who used the product or who um, liked the, maybe even made the product, I can't remember, tell, telling us what it's about and like how it's useful. And so I cut it together and showed it to him and paused for a second. And he's like, uh, can you make her happier? <laughs> and, uh, the main, the main person. And he wasn't serious, uh, you know, to his, like, you hear sometimes people will say stupid things like that, you know, and he wasn't serious. He wasn't actually like asking me to make her happier for real. He was expressing this lady seems a little dour and it's not the best um, for what we're trying to do that she seems that dour. And I laughed and I said, uh, you know, I probably said some sarcastic thing like, yes, let me press the happier button and voila. And so then I thought and I said, OK, hang on, let me let me see what I can do here. Amongst other things, I had to do other things, I'm sure. But I thought, and I thought back to, and this is, I'll go all the way back to school, college. One of my favorite things in the world, absolute favorite things. And if you like, so you've gotten me talking and I'm just going to like gush about this. It's, uh, and forgive me if you already know about this. It's called the Kuleshov effect. And it's this classic thing. It's editing 101 where uh, in Russia, a filmmaker named Kuleshov showed people a short film, very short. Three shots, shot of a uh, shot of soup, shot of an actor, and then back to the soup. And people, you know, this is all apocryphal. What I'm about to do, this, this, this telling the story. People be like, "Oh, look at that actor. He's so great. He looks so hungry. You know, ah, he looks so. He wants that soup." So then, Kuleshov has another short shot of a dead woman, shot of an actor, shot of a dead woman. It might be the other way. Shot of the actor, shot of the dead woman. Oh, look at the the sadness in his eyes as he looks at this dead woman. And of course, they're the same shot of the same actor. It's the same shot. It's he's not doing anything differently. It's the context. Show the soup, show the guy. He looks hungry. Show the dead woman in the casket. Show the guy. He looks sad for his dead wife, right? Or his dead mother or whatever. So <laughs> I love this thing so much. Like when I learned that it was like a, a light bulb, like just uh, just the, the idea that like you could take two disparate things and put them together and the meaning changes based on like what came first. Ah, that is the coolest thing in the world to me. And so um, back to Portland, Oregon, circa 2007, probably sitting there. Can I make this woman happier? I bet I can. So what I did was um, previously the thing had started with her, uh, you know, started with her talking and shot on her saying this, you know, widget thing is uh, great, but sounding dour. Instead of starting her, I started on some happier music and some nice shots, some nice shots came into her. She did seem a little happier. Not, I mean, you know, you're not gonna, she's not all smiles and sunshine, but it definitely did change the feeling when she came in to start talking and uh, yeah. And we both watched it. I was like, I think, I think I kind of did it. And he looked at it and he was like, 
yeah, you kind of did. Um, <laughs> so it was like, that was to me, like, that was my, that's one of my favorite, um, again, not butting heads um, moments. I don't butt heads is the thing. Like, I don't usually butt heads. Like, most of the time it's either, oh, let's try Let's try it. That's kind of my, that's my mantra. Let's try it. There's no reason. Most of the time there's no, you're losing time, but there's always time. Like, I mean, sometimes there's not, but most of the time there's time to try it. And if, you know, as an editor, it's like, I'm not the primary stakeholder on this thing. So it's like, I will rely on someone else's taste a lot of times to sort of bless it or not bless it. So it's like, you know, there's not a lot of, uh, there's not a lot to be gained in, in fighting city hall. Um, <laughs> Switching gears a little bit, you do some composing as well, and yeah. you you just released uh, within the last couple <laughs> of months your your uh, what is the official name of it? Um, I meant I to have it, it up. pulled up. Uh, I will edit this to make it sound like I did my research. Um, that's a that's a tragedy. <laughs> if you edit, if you edit, go ahead. Compositions for the Playdate game console. Yeah. Compositions uh, for the play volume one, I think it says on there. Oh no, I think that was a proposed concept, but I didn't actually put that on there. It, it does um, have volume one on the cover art. Right, right, right. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mentioned Nevin Morgan earlier. Um, he works at a company called Panic, and they released a handheld video game console called the Playdate. Um, and he was making a couple of games for that thing. And he caught wise uh, to the fact that I, I can write some music and asked me to um, contribute some tracks to a couple of games that he, uh, and one of which he and I both, uh, we kind of co co-made and yeah, that was super fun. Uh, super fun to, um, and what, what we were using is uh Playdate has a built in or has a, um, there's a game maker program that you can get to on a website. Um, you don't even have to have a Playdate to use it. And that took me all the way back to uh, when I was a kid. Uh, I learned to write music by, I taught myself to write music on a Commodore 64 using game creation software. Um, and so it was kind of like, ah, we've returned home. Um, so you get like uh, four, five tracks of synthesis. Um, one is noise, so it's not even musical, it's just a sound. And um, yeah, one was about a kid who's uh, sneaking or one game was a kid sneaking around while his parents are sleeping on Christmas Eve trying to find his Christmas presents, which is a great idea for a game. Just great. That's amazing. Um, and he, yeah. And he winds up finding like a secret layer in his house and stuff like that, you know, um, like spoiler alert. Uh, but um, <laughs> that one was super fun because it's like sneaky and then Christmas. So it's like it's got two kind of tones to it where it's like kind of um this kind of sneaky music and then it's also um got a kind of jaunty little christmas tune to it which was super fun to do and then the second game was the one that he and i worked on together for a uh like a game jam and this was a thing to um sort of push this uh, game making platform to developers uh panic had this um game jam where it was kind of like a 48 hour film project or something like that where you had to create a game i think it was within a month might have been a couple of weeks i can't remember what the timeline was but um very proud of this one. He and I came up with this idea of a game where you are the plane as the perspective of a ghost. And there's a seance that has woken you up and your goal is just to get them to leave so that you can go back to being dead. Um, <laughs> and I like that game. That to me is like that. I love that idea of like a ghost who's like, I just, I'm happy being dead. I'm tired of like, don't wake me up. I don't want to talk to anyone. Um, 
that was super fun. Um, the whole process of that was fun to work on. He handled all of the art and all of the programming and, and he, you know, very graciously let me write a lot of it. And then I get to write this music, which was, um, you know, I mentioned earlier, I like spooky stuff and like, that was just a blast to come up with, uh, ghost music, um, you know, for hauntings and things like that. Various, uh, kind of like creepy crawly sounds. Um, there's one part in particular that I was very adamant about where one of the, you can choose like five different kinds of hauntings. There's like, you know, you can make noises, you can move stuff around, but I was insistent and I didn't have to insist. He was like, yeah, that's great. Let's do that. Um, I was like, we have to have one where there's a skeleton and you, and the skeleton like dances, you know, we gotta have that. He's like, that sounds great. I was like, stop fighting this. We have to have the skeleton. And, um, yeah, <laughs> he's like, no, come back. I was like, I'm quitting. Cause you, uh, which led to me writing one of my favorite things I've ever written for, well, uh, led to me writing a thing where, um, one of the characters, when he sees the skeleton says, what a bonesman, uh, which I think <laughs> very, very happy with that. Um, a bonesman. Um, but, uh, anyway, so I got to write this like skeleton dance music and that was like super fun. It's, um, kind of, I wrote this homage to, uh, a track on the seventh voyage of Sinbad by Bernard Herman. Um, very kind of just like, just a trip doing that on like four tracks of synth synthesis too. Uh, I just love, loved doing that. That was so much fun. Cause it's like, Oh man, you know, it's like, I want to do like 20 things, but I can only do four, you know, <laughs> and just kind of like getting down to the elemental things of it. So yeah, everyone should, uh, uh, everyone should go to the band camp and purchase a copy. Um, if, you know, if anyone yeah. wants a free one, let me know. Um, yeah, uh, davidwester.bandcamp.com. Yeah. Uh, if you want, if you need more bleeps and bloops in your life, it's really fun bleeps. music. It's, I Thank love you. it. It's, it's so fun to listen to. And, and you finally put the finger on what I thought it was. And Commodore 64 is mm -hmm. it. It's that it's that style for anybody who knows what a Commodore sixty four is. Uh, yeah, it, it is. It's great music. It's I, I just love that style and that that is Thanks. that like like a like MIDI is that the the right? Yeah, I think MIDI the... is a good. It's it's a good way to put it. Um, you know, the pedant in me starts saying like, well, that's not actually what MIDI is. But yeah, I mean, I think it's you know, it's um, MIDI or chip tune probably mm. would would have some relevance there. I never know what to call it. I call it blip bloop. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's right. Bleep bloop. Did you blop. have, uh, like, uh, you know, so you, you write this game music, like, did you grow up being into games? Like, did you, you know, Commodore 64 games or was there any, you know, what talk to talk games to me? That's my, yeah, that's my world. Uh, yeah. Love games. Um, I guess I grew up, uh, playing, um, you know, Commodore 64 games, like, non-stop that's probably you know did you ever um, play the ghostbusters game did i ever play the Ghostbusters or, or, game? or as it should be oh called, my god Ghostbusters. <laughs> i would sit there and what and sing the ghostbusters song to that little bouncy ball at the beginning of that game um yep. just yeah no i played i played that i probably played that game within the past five years on an emulator I have a little, I, my parents bought me one of those little, um, you know, they, it's like, they make like a little Commodore 64 with like an HDMI out. Oh, really? I haven't like, seen that. Got like a, it's got like a fake keyboard on it. Nice. Yeah, no, I played a, I played a ton of 
video games um, growing up. I was, um, you know, uh, that, that was the first basement of my life was the basement uh, in St. Louis um, where our computer lived. And yeah, I was down there constantly playing it. You know, if my parents wanted to get me in trouble. If I was in trouble, they would ground me from the computer, you know, like. Um, they knew where to hit you. Yeah, they knew exactly where to hit me. Um, one time, like, I'd been grounded from the computer for months and I would just like sneak down. Like I did something really bad. I don't remember what it was, but I was like grounded for a month and I would sneak down into the basement and just play games with the volume off. Yeah. Big part of, big part of my life, a big, a big part of my media diet is what I'll say. Um, still to this day, like just kind of interested in what's going on with games. Yeah. Like Commodore, um, 64 games, the three stooges, there was a whole company called Cinemaware that I was really, really into, um, or they had these kind of like movie based things. Yeah. God, I could. Like if I think for any longer, I, I I'll probably have an hour's worth of content for you. <laughs> just talking about Commodore sixty four. I'll, I'll bring you back for a special Commodore sixty four episode. We could do a gets it or doesn't get it on the Commodore sixty four. Oh games. yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Let's talk soundtracks. Yeah, because we talked about that the other day via text. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I told I told Dave the story that my first MP three player, which was a I believe an iRiver. Does that sound? <laughs> familiar i don't know i don't know early mp3 players okay i just i just thought it might be one one of those things you might have have knowledge on but uh it was this little you know little mp3 player thing little cheap one i think it was like 128 megabytes or something like that and uh you could put like seven songs on it and uh <laughs> when i first got this thing i put the the jurassic park theme was one of the first mm. things i put on there so that probably dates about when this thing came out and my dad ended up looking at it because he was like, you know, what is what is this thing? What is this newfangled tech? And uh, he kind of rolled his eyes at having having <laughs> movie soundtracks, you know, and not fucking ACDC or something on there. Uh, you know, would have no been son of mine's going to listen to John Williams. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. When I was a kid, I would have much rather listened to the Star Wars soundtrack than any other popular music that was out at the time i had you know the soundtracks to all three star wars films i had you know different soundtracks to different things jurassic park again just loved it and and i loved what you were talking about earlier where you could kind of just listen to those without watching the movie and sort of imagine watching the movie or imagine feeling the movie through those soundtracks take me through more of that what influences that had on you what what it does for you in today's life like how you you know reach back and and tap into those just any thoughts oh, yeah. you have yeah i mean this is a big part of my life um it's interesting that you talk about your dad kind of rolling his eyes because it was i was similarly uh i used to think it'd be awesome to be at like a dance club and the beetlejuice theme would play or something like that when I was a little older. Um, cause it's just, it rules, you know, it's just like so much fun. The Beetlejuice theme. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm a film score geek. Um, I got really into film scores at a very young age, like I said, on a Fisher price record player, um, in the early eighties, uh, John Williams all, all the way. Um, Danny Elfman, uh, I have a very funny memory of like listening to the soundtrack to labyrinth, which I got from the library and my mom seeing that and saying, do you like David Bowie? Um, and I was like, I had no idea who David Bowie was. I just liked Labyrinth. But, um, yeah. So I, I, I think, um, to me again, like it, it's one of those things where, um, for whatever reason, like that pinged a certain thing for me and I really enjoyed it and liked listening to soundtracks and to, you know, the, the popular music kind of just 
never really interest me, interested me. You know, there's, I actually have a lot of, um, insecurity and kind of like a, a emotional sore spots about music and musical taste. Um, me there too. was a moment, <laughs> there We're was a moment really where I, here. okay, good, good. Yeah. 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 Uh, now we will be friends. Um, <laughs> But uh, there was a moment where I started doing tech for theater for the theaters that I was uh, working with, and you know they'd ask you to play music beforehand, and I just again just I was like, I, no one wants to hear the music I listen to, like no one wants to hear any of the music I listen to, which turned out to not be true. I mean, it's like you know I have more to me than just the the film scores, but it was a real hard time like bringing in some music to play for myself, where it was like doesn't can, you know please just give me a playlist. Uh, <laughs> and then I would like sneak something in, you know, and see people not rise up in revolt and run out of wherever we were, you know, and then get a little braver. And then suddenly I started like really enjoying it, you know, and suddenly I'm bringing in a lot of music to play. Uh, and it's like, uh, that was really fun. You know, it was very validating. And of course no one's actually listening to it. It's just kind of like a beat in the background while they're milling about pre-show, but still, the fact that they're not revolting, I won. I won. I won. Um, so yeah, I have a lot of like uh, your story about your dad. Like I, my dad wasn't like I never had that with my dad, but I certainly had that with peers all the time um, growing up. Where you know it'd be like, <laughs> you know, oh yeah, what are you listening to? The you know uh, soundtrack to Brigadoon or something? You know, like. Yeah, I mean, I definitely had that. And just kind of also, but never even like directly a lot of times, just not feeling like I could talk to people about music and stuff like that. So it's kind of, you know, people start talking about concerts they've been to or bands they like, and I just kind of start shuffling back to the wall, you know, hoping no one's going to ask me a question. And that's still, you know, to this day, that's still the case. Um, but, you know, people like what they like, and most people are cool. It's just, there's just like this weird insecurity that's that's never quite gone away from that, where it, it, it feels a little like, oh no, here we go again. Yeah, but like, yeah, so I, like I said, I just really liked, uh, I loved movies growing up. I found, I kind of found, you know, solace in movies. I found peace and all kinds of um good feelings at movies and so then like that just translated over to the listening to the soundtracks and then i feel like today what that informs the most is just i see people in my work who come in to write music for a piece of video a commercial or any kind of video and they're in a band or they're you know a musician in in their own right they've they've written a certain kind of music and i've seen this happen more than once where they just they don't get it um and what they don't get is the sense of dramatics that comes with um scoring something um and it's like they'll write some very lovely music that's really good and it just does not do anything for the piece, the piece of video that's that's you know going on and i and it's it's one of those things where you just it's like it's hard to put into words exactly like what that is and so what not just in the music i write but the editing i do and a lot of stuff um that i do in you know other forms writing um even just constructing a show like i did with dave's basement or like i do with dnd the sketch uh like we do um with dnd the sketch duo that is being aware of the sort of like ups and downs and dynamics of like uh, the full experience of a show and i feel like that really informs like everything that i do in this very interesting way where it's like if you listen to enough good <laughs> movie scoring you get a sense of like oh this scene has a kind of like goofy tone to it and then like suddenly it's like oh there's a 
very serious scene or whatever. And like those dynamics are just so much fun and they're so interesting. And so when you turn on an album, you're feeling all kinds of different things and it can be kind of like fun. And like a lot of times, like, like a movie soundtrack has that too. If it's like a score soundtrack or a song soundtrack, you know, where they've, they've got a bunch of needle drops in there. It still has that same kind of sense of like, if it's a good one, it's got this like kind of like bouncing around between different tones. And I think like that is something that has informed my work a great deal. Um, because one thing that like, you know, I, I pride myself on is being able to put together a good show, being able to put together a show that like, even if I'm doing a 15, I'm working on some 15 second spots right now. And it's like, I want to make sure that that 15 second thing, it has, um, you know, on a 15 second, you get like one move, <laughs> but I want to make sure that there's one move there that, you know, it's not just like a flat line that it has like a kind of uh, a spike and then, you know, probably a quick spike and then a quick down on a 30 second, you might get two or three of those, but it's like, yeah, I feel like that's the thing that like, I've learned the most from listening to that kind of music. Um, and even like, I didn't know how the way to put this until very recently, but it's like, you know, you, you listen to enough like John Williams stuff and then you start going, Hmm, let's listen to some classical music too. I'm going to turn on the classical station and it doesn't quite do it for you the same way. And it's there a lot of times, like, I think it's the the internal goal of a piece of classical music is to satisfy its sort of classical music. It, it the 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 um the goal of a piece of classical music is far different than a piece of film scoring, and I think it has a lot to do with that dramatic idea, like the dramatic idea behind it. And there's lots of classical music that does have that vibe to it. That is like, oh yes, this is very, this is kind of doing it for me the same way. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, a lot of times I'll turn on the classical station. One of my favorite things is like, you'll, you'll read about a composer who was born in like 1850 and in like 1880, here comes the new crop of film, uh, the new crop of composers. And they're like, Oh, I hate this guy. This guy's doing, you know, uh, this guy's just music is garbage. It's all chaotic and weird. And that they just play those two people back to back on the same station, you know, like, I think that's really funny. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So I just feel like that that sense of dramatic uh, uh, necessity um, that comes with film scoring is is just so compelling to me. I just love that. I love that so much. And and the and the and the sort of like more tr uh, pop music that I do like, I find is kind of playing that same game a lot of times where it's like, oh, suddenly this turned, you know, like this, I thought this was a sweet song and now it's a sad song, you know, like that kind of thing. How about we do a uh, gets it or doesn't get it of either composers or film scores? <laughs> Does that sound, right. yeah, sound yeah, yeah, doable? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, what do you think? Compo do you want to do the, the film composers or the, the scores to some popular movies? What do you think will be a better? I think the scores themselves... Content? Okay. Yeah, I think the scores themselves, because you could go far afield where, like, if you just start, like, we're going to run out of composers real quick. Yeah, um, yeah. I think, where it's like, you could talk about, like, you could literally just pull up some movies, and if I don't know the movie, I'll pass, but, like, yeah. you could literally just pull up a bunch of movies, and I may not even know who the composer is Yeah. Um, sometimes, but I might have seen the movie and can tell you. So I'm going to... Uh... Yeah, this is again. We we can edit this down. We'll figure it out. We'll make it. We'll we'll pretend we had this planned. Um, Gotta make it a show, Betty. Right. <laughs> uh, I, I'm looking right now at ClassicFM.com's top 50 film scores of all time. Okay. Yeah. Is that is that okay to do ones that are considered good, or do you want more of a spattering of your Let's average? Let's see what movie? happens because I'm afraid this is just going to be gets it gets it gets it gets it. Yeah, that's it, that's it. what but, I, exactly. Yeah. But I do have a contrarian streak in me, so. 
That's what I'm hoping for. There's, there's a high possibility I'll I'll have a lot to say about some dumb thing that I hate. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping for is that I give you like the James Bond theme and you're like, you know what? It sucks. So um, let's uh, let's start out with uh, with uh, the James Bond theme. James Bond theme. Um, yeah, that that totally gets it. Like, it's undeniable. Uh, that's uh, yeah, that's just like um, you hear it and it's like you're you're there. You're ready to go. Let's do this. Gets it. The Inception theme. Seems like it gets it, but it actually doesn't get it. Um, oh, no. And that has more to do with the movie that it's in than the music itself. Oh, okay. Well, we're yeah. I, I we're gonna focus on film scores. I won't. I won't get into arguing with you about the movie itself. But I hear where you're coming from. <laughs> uh, Once upon a time in the West. All time, a hundred percent top. Getting it to the the degree that anything can get it, it gets it the most. Uh, yeah, that that thing's amazing. Ooh, the Jaws theme. Jaws theme gets it. Simple. Uh, what do you need? You need two notes. It's just more than two, but you know, it, yeah, no, that that's again, simplicity, uh, in a, in a paper bag, take it home, rub it on your face. Gets it. <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean. Doesn't get it. Bunch of Hans Zimmer noodling around on the keyboard. It's good. It's, it's catchy, but it's, it's kind of eh. Raiders of the almost Lost Ark. Almost gets it. I'll say, I'll say about Pirates almost. of the Caribbean. Almost gets, almost gets it, but doesn't. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark gets it. Yeah. Hey, it's Jones. It's one of my favorites, so I was just hoping you would give it a really a yeah. solid. No, if you play the Indiana Jones theme in a in a room, everyone gets misty eyed and laughing and yeah, clapping each other on the back. They everyone feels happy. It gets it. What about the Magnificent Seven? Magnificent Seven. The theme gets it. The score is a little not getting it. The score overall score doesn't quite get it. The theme is very very good. It's a little. It's just on the edge of not getting it. But yeah, it gets it. Good. <laughs> Harry Potter. Harry Potter. That's probably gonna be my toughest, the toughest one for me. Um, I gotta say it gets it. Almost doesn't get it, but gets it. Yeah. 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 It 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 gets it. Wow, I'm actually surprised it. that you're you're giving in on that one. I thought that one would have been a shoot it down. It yeah, it there's something about it that you, makes you want to shoot it down, but then it's like, what what else could this be? You know, mm. and it's like this captures that thing perfectly, whatever it is. So, and and it also has the thing of like John Williams over familiarity, where when you also when you hear it, it's kind of like, well, yeah, this sounds kind of predictable. But I'll say that the Jurassic Park theme sounded the same way in '93 when I heard it, and then mm. it's like, but no, it's it's great, it's great. Well, <laughs> what are you gonna do? It's great. <laughs> on that note, does the Jurassic Park theme get it or not get it? Jurassic Park theme gets it, but it's but I'm watching you. Ooh. I'm watching you. It's it's it, there's there's a thing with it where that like the the bum 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 bum, bum that gets it the sort of sweet sappy part. I'm watching you. I'm watching you. Gets it. Gets it. But I'm watching you. Chariots of fire. Chariots of fire. Fucking gets it. It fucking gets it to yeah. It fucking it gets it it goddamn motherfucking gets it and leaves nothing left on the table for anyone else to get. <laughs> I've never seen that movie, but that theme just kicks ass. Yeah. It just popped up. I don't up know the rest of the score. Yeah. I don't yeah. either. I just know that one song. <laughs> uh, how about Star Wars? Star Wars gets, uh, yeah. Star Wars gets it. Yeah. I got nothing to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> I, about I will say this. I will say this. I, I was, a I was at like the exact right age to see Phantom Menace and forgive it all of its sins. And then I saw the next one and I was like, I don't, I don't know about this. And I realized I'm just here to see the opening theme. 
like I'll buy the third one, I'll buy the third prequel. I was like, I'm just here to just play the music, do the scroll. I'm good, and I'll sit here for two hours and remember that. Like that's so that's getting it. That's what getting it means. <laughs> How about the Lord of the Rings? Lord of the Rings gets it. It's um, it's uh, yeah, no, it's um, um, it gets it in a way that makes you feel smart. I'll say. Like it's uh, it's a very rewarding um, getting it. <laughs> it's a good meal. It's a full meal that one. <laughs> and then the number one film score on this list. Would you have a guess as what it is? Uh, something I haven't brought up yet uh, <laughs> that they would name I, as number one. I got it. Who is this? Uh, this is classicfm.com. Classic FM. Okay, so. I'm gonna try and guess here. Who would it be? I I don't know. Um, I can't I can't come up with a good guess. Uh, number one is Schindler's List. Schindler's List. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, gets it. It's it's good if you want to cry. Right. Would you put it as the number one film score of all time? I no. It would probably not even be in my top twenty. <laughs> if I had to make twenty. Um, well, which the, is the rest yeah. of this list is worthless then because. <laughs> that's number one we can't trust it yeah i just watched this movie all i mentioned earlier i just rewatched this movie called altered states and um i think that has a a good bid for being one of the best of all times best scores of all time it's very weird it's a very weird score and it's very cool it's very dense the scoring is very dense and it um it still works a lot of times like scores if they're too dense they stop working or they can't get too dense and stop working but uh, that was mostly gets it, wasn't it? That was not a lot of, other than my uh, distaste you, for Ince Inception. Uh, yeah, you got that one in there. Is there any? Uh, do you want to take this moment to to crap on any uh, film scores that you're just like, <laughs> just absolutely don't get it? That that maybe you know. I, of course, there's you know there's movies that suck, and we all know it. But like, do you, do you have any curveball doesn't gets it for us? Mm, curveball doesn't get it. I'll have to think about that for a second. Sure, um, sure. I'm gonna have more curveball gets it. Okay, uh, I'm interested in those too. I will say that like the vast majority of movies right now, their scores just do not get it. Mm. They do not get it, and I, 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 and this goes back to editing. Also, um, I feel like most movies, and you know, I'm, I'm sure these people are under a lot of pressure in a lot of different directions for a lot of different reasons that make them make choices that end up in this. But I feel as if there's not time given in the movies themselves for the score to do things uh i just watched glass onion and that score was pretty good it wasn't like top notch or anything like that but man there are just these stretches where it's like oh this is just a musical moment like there's just a moment here where like they leaned back and let the composer kind of take over and it's nice it's just like it's like it's it feels rare these days to like have a moment where um the music is kind of like carrying a scene in a way that's not a like a super sad thing because that happens a lot where it's like they take out all the sound effects and then play this like sad music i could do without that but um <laughs> i mean it was cool the first three times i saw it back in like 1995 but um, like I'm, I'm about ready for that to be over but um there's uh there's just like these moments in glass onion there's one part where someone um i think someone gets like shot at or shot and there's just this harpsichord that starts kicking in and it's just cool it was like oh thank you like thank you for just like 
having a moment where like the music kind of just like pops to the top of the mix and is noticeable. Um, I think like a lot of times, like people have this thing, I'll tell you what doesn't get it. I'll tell you the all time, not getting it for film scores. People saying, I don't like to notice the music all time, not getting it. I'm sorry if that's you out there. Whenever I hear that, my, my soul dies a little bit. Uh, and you know, it's just, it's such an easy thing to like, um, counter. Cause it's like, oh yeah, you really hate the music at the beginning of star Wars, you know? Oh yeah. You really hate the Indiana Jones theme when he's like swinging across something and it's, and it blares at you. Like, yeah, I, you either like, you don't like that or you didn't notice it. I'm sure you noticed it. And it's the same thing. It's like, you know, you're watching a movie and there's a really cool shot, you know, it's like, ah, yeah, that's a cool shot. I like that. You, and it doesn't like it, maybe it takes you out of it for a second, but it's not like you can't get right back in and it's not like it's not like it takes you out of it for a moment of aesthetic appreciation so it's also like just a nice thing um and so like yeah that to me um is like my top like not getting a thing to do with film scores is just people saying like i don't want to hear the music because it's like eh, sometimes you i think you do sometimes i think like you, you probably do but so most modern movies are scored in a way where it feels like someone is there saying like i don't want to hear the music right now and um i feel like that's you know to their detriment it's like music can do a lot you know i think things are overscored also where it's like uh, there's too much music so then it becomes just kind of like this wall and nothing pokes through but um yeah i'll probably ask you to cut that part out where i went on that rant about people saying that sure. <laughs> they don't want to hear the music <laughs> sure that feels a little aggressive <laughs> uh, but yeah i would say like the top not getting a thing for me is like the scores right now are are produced in a way that feel like they're designed to be not noticed and only felt and I think it's okay to notice the music. I think it's okay to have moments in movies where it's like the music takes over and you're swept away by it. You both let, you're both appreciating the music as music at the same time, you're appreciating what it's doing to the movie itself or to the, to the piece you're watching. And that sort of thing happens all the time in, in all kinds of ways, you know, like in a comedic way, sometimes someone being funny is, is a, something that's noticeable, but also it's like part of the gestalt of the thing. And it's kind of like taking you over. So yeah, that's my, that's my not getting it. <laughs> With well, the I'm, scores. Uh, I'm glad I got that out of you. I, I really wanted to get to a gets it or doesn't get it list. Cause that is, as one of my favorite Dave Wester isms is gets <laughs> it or doesn't get it. Um, uh, yeah. Um, we should go through your list of favorite Dave Westerisms. <laughs> if they get it or don't get it. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'll tell you right now, I think they probably all don't get it, but that's uh, <laughs> what I'd say. But I mostly just want to hear the list. Yeah, um, I, I will yeah. start putting that together for you. Okay. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. And I, I, it's, it's just cool because I, I can't think of many times, if any, that I've really gotten to sit down and just like absorb you dave and i appreciate you taking the time and like i just love hearing i, I love seeing everything you do you know <laughs> this goes back to you know meeting you through improv and seeing you do like lights and tech and just like every project you come out with is is a delight yeah. and and just thank you for creating in general you're welcome um thank you for appreciating the lights and sound that i did um I, I know I, I saw you once when I, I flicked on light number 10 and you and you nodded appreciatively in the audience. I saw you and I just want you to know I saw you. And uh, there was one time you shook your head like, I don't like that one. I and, remember that one. You know, it hurt a little bit, but oh, I'm sorry. I got over it. I got over it. Well, that's the that's the perfect transition to asking then if if I did something like that to you or are we still friends? We are still. Yes, that that actually never happened. Um, so 
we're still friends, but I'm watching you. If if I pull a move like that, friendship over. If you ever shake your head disapprovingly at anything I do, I'm not sure we're still friends. No, no, yeah, no. I I think um yeah I I have always enjoyed your presence in my life in however it happened to show up and uh, you're you're one of these people that it's like the moment um, I met you it's like yeah this guy's uh, this guy's someone I want to have around you know in some way or another because it's there's just a there's just a quality uh, a generosity of spirit to you that uh, I enjoy very much I hope you don't mind me you said you wanted to absorb me uh, this is this is I, I, I like being very upfront with people about why I like them um, and, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think this is cool that I think it's cool that you're doing this podcast and I was flattered that I was, I cannot tell you how flattered I was that you asked me at all. Um, you've been, so, you've been yeah, on, my, keep... on my list on my radar for a while. So I'm glad it finally materialized. Yeah. Happened. Light number 10, baby. That's yeah. uh, got to get that light number 10 guy there. <laughs> uh, I do appreciate all the nice things you said. Um, I, 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 I know I deflected a bit, but I, I do appreciate that. It's nice to hearing that anything I do is positive for anyone out there at any point. Um, at any moment, like if anyone says anything nice to me, it is, uh, let me say I am, I am a glutton for, I am a glutton for positive thoughts, um, directed at me. Um, there's no amount that will ever satiate me or make me feel like I've got enough. Um, and it's not something that like, you know, I'm out there trying to garner. And so when they come by, it's, it's just a very special moment and I, I appreciate it uh so anyway thank you uh, and i like the stuff you do too thank you i appreciate <laughs> it you're welcome well i will hopefully see you in person soon it's been a while and the next time i see a project from you isn't soon enough so ah uh, cool um yeah we'll see what happens next i will talk to you soon okay all right bye Good night, Dave. love you bye love you. <laughs> Thanks so much to our friend Dave for sitting down with me today. If you want to become better friends with Dave, find his work at DaveWester.com and find him on YouTube and Instagram under Dave's Basement 2. That's the number two, Dave's Basement 2. Are We Still Friends is produced and edited by me, Kyle Coleman. Music provided by our friend Jack Martin. Make sure to rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Visit AreWeStillFriends.com to find more interviews with your favorite friends. 